You know, that song has kind of become a theme around here because God has made a way in so many different situations. I think of of just uh, of how the Lord worked in our lives and in the life of this church to uh, to bring us Larry and Harriet and how the Lord made a way uh, for that to happen through many dangers, toils, and snares. And, it, you know, and I'm just so thankful for how the Lord has made a way. And uh, I'm also thankful for all these dear brothers and sisters who help us worship the Lord. Uh, you know, the, the, um, like, uh, like Ben and, and Roth and Lee up there and, and, uh, and Ben Guy and all these others that you saw up here. Just so thankful that uh, God has given us the people that we need in order for us to come into the presence of the Lord and ascribe to him glory and honor that is due his name. And that's what I want to talk about today. Yeah. Before we uh, read the scripture, I'm going to, while you're turning to Psalm 95 in your paper or your electronics or whatever you bring, whatever you brought with you, go to Psalm 95. We're going to talk about what is there. Um, before we do that, I just have a personal uh, testimony. Um, I love to worship the Lord uh, very much. Now, I know that, the, that worship has a wide, uh, you, can, you can define worship as like everything you do every day. You do it as unto the Lord. In, the, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, somewhere around there, says, whether you eat or whether you drink, you do everything to the glory of God. And, and, you know, and that's, what, that's the way a disciple lives. But there is something special that happens. There is something that, is, that the Bible has a kind of a separate category for when the people of God come together and they lift their voices so that with one heart and one soul and one voice we lift up the name of Jesus together. Because I, I need y'all. You know, I, I, I kind of fire off of you guys. I'm not that good alone, really. You know, I go in the closet and I shut the door and say, okay, I need to pray. Right. What am I going to pray about? All right. You know, and I have ideas. I can read the Psalms back to God. I can do a lot of things. I pray mostly in my car, um, and not with my eyes closed. And, uh, uh, and, and God has given me wonderful times there of, 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 of singing to him and praying to him and worshiping him. But, you know, when I come in here, into this room on the Lord's Day with you. This is what, th- this is the time I feel like I can most intimately meet with my God. And so these are very special times for me. Um, and this is a very special thing for me to talk about. Uh, just a little bit of history. I'm not trying to bore you too much with the story of Bob. But um, back, I was, I was a senior in high school, Central Virginia. I'm about 18 years old, and music was my God. I figured music would make my life worth living, deliver me from nerdhood, uh, make me less socially awkward, and give me an identity. Uh, I was playing guitar in rock bands, jamming with the soul, funk, R&B band, listening to crazy jazz and classical music most other kids my age didn't know anything about unless I told them about it, which I did. Too much. I had turned a gift from God into God. Isn't that what we do? Everybody's religious. You've never met a non-religious person. 
You meet people who trust in themselves. You meet people who trust in science. You meet people who trust in their ability to make life work until it doesn't. You meet people who trust in the, in the media. You meet people who trust in their political party. You meet people who trust in all kinds of things. So everybody's religious. And I was no uh, exception to that. Everybody worships something. We worship what we trust. The thing that we trust to give us life, that's what we worship. I trusted music to give my life meaning. But around 1975, I'm still around 18 years old, right around Easter time, Jesus had had enough of this. <laughs> yes. And he put people into my life who pointed me to him. And I realized that he is the great God, the great king above all gods, the God who made the heavens and the earth, and the God who can forgive all my sins, all my idolatry, and that he himself would be worthy of my praise and my worship and the true joy of my life. And Jesus saved me and made me a worshiper of him. I thank God um, for his grace to me back then. I know some of you weren't even born in 1975, um, but it was an interesting time. Well, that summer, for instance, after I got saved... Uh, that means Jesus took my sins away, and he gave me his righteousness, and he gave me an identity, and, a, and, and I became his little brother, and, and, and he uh, connected me to his Father in heaven, and now I am a son. It, it, it's a beautiful thing when that happens, and, and, and most of you in here have had that happen to you. Well, after I got saved, I went to three gatherings that summer. One of them was called Jesus 75. 40,000 believers worshiping, praising, listening to the word of God dancing on this farm out in Morgantown, PA. It was kind of like Woodstock with, without the weed and without the LSD and with more, with, you know, kind of a sanctified Woodstock. And it was a beautiful time. And I just remember sitting there worshiping out on this hill. I don't even like camping, y'all. Ask my wife. Uh, just take us camping. Oh, I hate camping. But, you know, but those, those three days were glorious. And I just remember sitting on that hillside with these 40,000 believers around me singing with Andre Crouch and, and Phil Kage and, and a bunch of other names that you young people would probably not know about up there leading us in worship. And I just remember thinking, this is glorious. I can't get enough of this. And I still can't get enough of it. So, um... While, I'm, while this is all happening, though, you know, my whole life has changed. I'm now a worshiper of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'm asking, what do I do with the music? All this time I spent playing the blues and the funk and the rock and roll and trying to play jazz and listening to classical, and I got all this music theory rattling around in my head. God, you redeemed me. Can you redeem my music? You gave me yourself. You gave me meaning. You gave me hope and joy and new life. You redeemed me. Can you redeem my music? I want God to use my music to bless people. That's what I was saying. You know, back then I was thinking, how can I use my music to bless people? And so whenever I played for worship, it was like this joy that I could not describe. I still get that. So the next couple years, on these Saturday nights, I would uh, take my guitar to this little charismatic church. And we'd play and play and play and play. People are going crazy. They're using their whole bodies in worshiping the Lord. They're 
arms are up in the air and their feet are, are, are set to dancing and, and, and there's this joy and people would speak in languages that I'd never heard and all kinds of stuff was going on and then the next day, the next morning, I would do this for like, I, I did this for the last two years I was living in my hometown um, and I'd, I'd go up next morning, put on the coat and tie and go to the Presbyterian church where I first heard the gospel uh, uh, in a way that, that grabbed me and I'd get my theology. And I, got, I learned more about what Christ has done for me. I learned more about the Father's love through Jesus. I learned more about the work of the Holy Spirit and applying what the Father had planned and what the, what the Son had accomplished to me and to my heart and to my life. And I learned more about those things, and that, that cut my teeth theologically. And so I'd go Saturday night, Sunday morning, Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then, well... Fast forward a little bit, Gracie and I get married, and then we come here uh, to go to seminary, and um, we start going to New Life Church in Philadelphia after a while. This is back in 1984, and I I remember feeling like, hey, Saturday night, Sunday morning, I've been brought together. (laughs) This is lovely. Uh, You know, I, I can play my guitar here, and I get this good theology from John Julian. And it, it, so, so anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Um, you know, in all this time, I've, I've seen movements in worship. I've seen the worship wars. And I really don't want to go there. Um, I've been asking the questions about what real worship is, where the music fits in, what does God really want. And after 44 years, this is what I've come up with. And uh, this is what I have to say about that. Worship has everything to do with praising the glory and the beauty and the holiness of God. And worship rises to him from all nations and all cultures and all peoples and all kinds of music and styles, but we are one international church, so that with one heart and mouth we glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's all I got. Let's get into the psalm. Let's dig in. Let's stand together for the reading, to honor the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 95. This is a call to the people of God to come and worship. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God, the great King above all gods, and in his hand are the depths of the earth, and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did at Meribah, as you did that day in Massah, in the desert, where your fathers tested and tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years, I was angry with that generation, and I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. The word of God. May God bless his, his holy, infallible, and perfect word, and may he apply it to where we live. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, as we open up the Word of God, we pray that you would teach us something. Teach us something about your glory, about your praise, about your worthiness to be worshipped. Teach us something about how each of us comes in here and brings a heart. A heart that is changed by the Holy Spirit, but a heart that is in danger of being hardened. Teach us, Lord, what we need to know. And change us by the power of your Spirit for the sake of the kingdom of Jesus. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 95. I got three points. The first one is, get loud and happy because he is that great. That's what it says. The second point is, get quiet and humble because he's that good to you. And the third one is, keep your heart open to him because he is that faithful to you. Thanks. Get loud and happy because he is that great. God says, come. Now, I don't want to go too quickly over that word, come. Holy God, who had driven... Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword held by a fearful angel, not a little fat baby with wings, but one that you would be afraid of who would have to constantly say, do not fear. The one who had this set up with, okay, you could come into the courtyard of the Gentiles. If you're Gentile, you could come in deeper if if you were Jewish, you could come in a little bit deeper. If you were one of the Levites, you could come in even deeper. If you were one, of, if you were the priest, and if you were the high priest, and it was the right time of year, you could go into the holiest place. But you'd have to be careful because you had to have all everything done exactly as 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 God had shown Moses on the mountain, or else your life could be in danger. The holy of holies, the veil that separated. God and his presence from everybody else saying, stay out, stay out, stay out. God is holy and you're not. But he says, come. He says, come. This is, this is the gospel right here, y'all. Because who made a way? Who made a way for us to be able to come? How can we get ready to come? How can we be good enough to come? How could we ever be okay in the holy presence of a holy God who cannot look upon sin? Do you remember what happened the day that Jesus died? Several things happened. But one of the things that happened, besides the darkness of the heavens that declaring the glory of God becoming dark at noon, another thing happened. The veil in the temple that separated the holiest place from the rest of the community was ripped from top to bottom. And that was Jesus Christ saying, come on in, have fellowship with me and you will be shown mercy and you will be shown grace i'm calling you to believe that jesus christ has made a way for you to come into the presence of god and not be consumed and not be condemned wow because jesus himself was consumed because jesus himself was condemned by the wrath of god in our place he died for all who believe Would you put your faith in Jesus? So when you hear the psalm say, come, come, come into the presence of God, you know he has made a way for you, for you to come in, to have fellowship 
but holy God. He does not compromise his holiness in order to have you in there, but to satisfy his holiness because you're in Christ. Come, he says, come. So I just want to, I want to move too quick over the word come. The spirit and the bride say come. Revelation 22, let him who hears say come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take from the free gift of the water of life. Jesus said on the last day of the, of the Feast of Tabernacles, he said, all you who are thirsty, let them come to me, and I will give you living water, and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So come. Come in. Doing what? What does it say? And this is not rhetorical. Y'all can get in on this. What does it say that you come with? Doing what? Singing. What else? Noise. What else? Shouting. Don't forget to shout. All right, what else? Joy. All right, anything else? Look at the sixth and seventh verses. (laughs) Thanksgiving. Sorry. Bowing down, kneeling. Uh, Yes, (laughs) we are the sheep. We bring ourselves. So you, you see all that. And so where the kingdom of God is, there will be singing. Even if you can't sing, and if you're not musical, God still wants you to offer it up. You know, I love a good gospel choir. I, I, I love a good gospel choir an awful lot. But you know what? I've often said that the most glorious choir in the world is this. The people of God singing because you want to be here, because you are coming before God and bowing down before him, realizing that he is the great king above all gods, that he is the one who made everything, the mountain peaks and the seas, and everything that is in his hands that belongs to him. He's got the whole world in his hands, and that that he invites you to come, and you want to be here, and you want to be in his presence, and you're singing because you feel it, because you believe it, because you know that he is the only hope that you have for your life, that is the choir. You are the choir. And our job up here is just to get you all going. We're not performing for you. You know that. So, even if you don't like the song, even if you find something in the words that just gives glory to God, belt that out. Sing to the Lord. You are good. Your mercies endure forever. You rule by the power of your word, O Lord. God who saves me, I cry out before you. Lord, you've been our dwelling place through all generations. You make me glad by your deeds, O Lord. I sing for joy by the works of your hands. You sing to God. You dress him. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to hear you sing to him. Shout aloud to the rock of salvation. Don't forget to shout. I know there are shouting churches and there are non-shouting churches, but God wants some shouting going on. Now, some of you, I know, I know that some of you and some of you I heard you shouted about a year ago when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. And you couldn't help but shout. You were shouting. Okay. So you shouted because you won. Well, you didn't win. They won. But you know what I'm saying. Y'all won because they won for you. It's kind of like the gospel. Jesus won And so we shout. Do you see what I'm saying? That the meaning of, okay, 
what's the meaning of the book of Revelation? There's a story about a guy who, uh, who, who a janitor, and he's, he's uh, cleaning up, and there's some seminary students out there playing basketball. Janitor's sitting on a stool reading a book. And the, the seminary students, now you can always tell a seminary student, but you can't tell them much. And so uh, I, I, was, I was like that, so I can say that. So the seminary students are, are going to the janitor, and they say, uh, so, you know, they're done with their game now, and he's going to lock up the gym and all that stuff. So they go to the janitor and say, so, what you reading? janitor said, I'm reading the book of Revelation. And the students look at each other like, we're going to help this poor guy out. And they're going to kind of puff up their chests. So do you understand what you're reading? And a janitor said, I sure do. Jesus is going to win. That's it, y'all. And that's why we shout. Because the big battle has been won. Jesus has won. All right, then. Uh, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to skip some of this stuff. Uh, come into his presence with thanksgiving. A slice of life in the church in Colossians chapter 3 says, Be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. You give thanks to God for every breath you take, every meal you eat, not to mention every spiritual blessing in Christ that before the creation of the world, he chose you to be holy and blameless in Christ. He made you new. He made you his child. He made you uh, forgiven and righteous. Give thanks for every spiritual blessing. Give thanks for every little little thing. I was just talking to Grace just um, uh, yesterday about how, how I've gotten to where, you know, I, I, I'm working on a piano and I can't find a tool. I can't find this tool. Oh, where is it? Stinking tool. I can't find it. Uh, thank you, Jesus. Here it is. You know, I'm just thanking for every little thing because he holds the universe together. And if he holds the universe together, he deserves to be thanked for every little thing. Why? Because the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. He is great. He made everything, and he's the rock of your salvation. The rock, that is what you can depend on. That's what you can, that's what you can land on. That's what you know that that, that, that rock isn't going to move. It's the rock of God's faithfulness, the rock that, that, that he has established salvation, first for the, for, for the, uh, for the ancient people of God by, by delivering them from the slavery in Egypt, uh, miraculously, and now for us by delivering us from the slavery of our own sin and the slavery of, uh, of, of, um, uh, of, of the life that we had been leading. And he, and, and he saves us from that. He saves us from the wrath of God. He is the rock of our salvation. And you can put your complete faith and your complete dependence upon him. And notice another thing in this psalm. It's plural. In this particular psalm, now God does want you to meet with him one-on-one. That's not a problem. I mean, it's of his problem for me sometimes because I'm so undisciplined, and it's a problem for many of you probably. But in this particular psalm, it's like, y'all, come. Come. People of God, gather. Come together. Secondly, be quiet and humble because he's good to you. Um, Let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel 
you've got three Hebrew words that are all saying something of the same thing. Down, down, down. God is holy, holy, holy. And we go down, down, down in humility. The word for worship is to prostrate yourself. I mean, kissing the dirt. And then he says, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And so, at least in your heart, if not also with your bodies. Anytime you want. You know, we have freedom in this place. When we, when we are here worshiping and singing together, you've got the freedom to get out there and, and, and get on your knees like my brother Tim does. You, got, you know, you, you, God might call you to do that. Just offer that to me. Kneel before me, he says. Humble yourself. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves before the Lord. There's a time for quiet and the bowing, and it's, it's not the bowing of a slave who hates his jerk of a master. This is the bowing of the one who's been of a person who's been given no spirit of slavery but instead the spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father, I love you, and I bow before you. Bowing, kneeling, because God gives humility. This is the God who made the heaven and earth, and he made you. He has become the rock of your salvation, your good shepherd, the lover of your soul, the one who has made a covenant with you and has said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. You bow before him. He's good to you. He's never going to do you wrong. You know, there are a lot of songs out there, somebody done somebody wrong songs. And you're never going to sing that one about Jesus, ever. He's been walking with me for 44 years, and he has never, ever, ever done me wrong. (laughs) Now, if all you do is get loud, you're going to miss the wonder. The wonder is this. How can this be? Who am I that the holy God who created the heavens and the earth would bid me come and be in his presence and give me life and give me hope and forgiveness and righteousness? Who am I? And that's something to wonder about. Take the time to wonder, wonder. So part of your worship is to get quiet and humble before him. And the third thing, keep your heart open to him because he's that faithful. Why does this psalm end with such a downer? You ever notice it? I mean, it starts so upbeat. And then it, by the time you're done, it's like, ooh, God doesn't like what's going on. Because the heart strays. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Hardness of heart, that's a theme over all scripture. The heart is not the organ that pumps blood in the Bible. In the Bible, the heart is who you are when nobody's looking. It's who you really are, authentically. It's who you are as God sees you, who knows all the stuff that you are. That's what the heart is. It's who you truly are. So a hardening heart is what we're born with because of the sin that we come into the world with, but through Jesus we get a heart transplant, as it says in Ezekiel chapter 36. I will take the old heart of stone and I'm going to put in a new heart of flesh. 
So God gives us a new heart. So I'm not talking, I'm not talking to, all you who are saved, I'm not talking to people with just nothing but wickedness in your hearts. I'm talking to people who got redeemed, new, and good hearts. You're a saint. God made you one. He gave you a new heart. But, you know, there's something that happens to that heart. Sometimes the heart can get a little crusty. It can become hardened. It's a disease that Christians experience, the hardness of heart. It's when church becomes a drag, when God becomes a drag, when the Bible becomes a drag, and nothing just, nothing, nothing, nothing affects you. You feel like you've kind of got life on an even keel and nothing much is happening, either bad or good. You're okay. You're okay for now. And, and, and you're not coming as a desperate, thirsty, hungry person, anxious to meet with a holy God. You come because it's Sunday. And what would they say if I didn't show up? You know, the elder might call me up and say, yo, where you been? And I don't really want to have that phone conversation, so I did Sunday, so I'm here. Bodily. Um, this is rooted in a situation that poor Moses had with the people of God when they uh, were all over him for uh, bringing them out of, out, taking them out of Egypt, but taking them to a place where they couldn't get enough water as fast as they hoped to get it. And they said, so did you, so, so, so Moses, now this is really bad sarcasm, but they say, Moses, do they have a shortage of graves in Egypt? Is that why you brought us out here so we'd have more graves? So we could die out here instead of die there? You know, I mean, at least there we're being taken care of. You know, they forgot about the slavery and the abuse and the wickedness of their slave masters and the, and the hatred for the Jews and, the, you know, all, this things that, all these things that were happening. They forgot all about that. All, all, they, all, all they could think about was the fact that we are thirsty and we don't see anything happening and I, we, don't, we don't think God is good. They bought the original lie from the original sin, from the original Garden of Eden, God is holding out on you. That is a lie from Satan. That is a lie rejected every time you are tempted to believe that God is holding out on you, that he didn't give you the right life, he didn't give you the right wife, he didn't give you the right food, he didn't give you, he didn't give you what you wanted when you hoped that you would get it, and that you had to, that you had to indulge in something that was illegal or, or, or soul-killing in order to get what you think you need because God is holding out on you. That is a big, fat lie, and Satan tells it all the time, and he thinks we're going to believe it because, unfortunately, in this world, we still often do. But it's a lie. I'm not going to go into... There's a whole theological thing about the rest, and it's fascinating, and I wish I had another... 45 or 50, you know, I got like three hours of stuff to talk about here, but I, we could talk about that. But it's a beautiful thing. But let's, let's just say that the biggest problem in, in Exodus chapter 17 was they didn't believe God was going to come through. They didn't believe God was for them. They didn't believe that God was, that, 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 that the same God who took them through the Red Sea on dry ground and swallowed up all of their enemies with the water was going to give them water today. And so they're doubting God's faithfulness and goodness and commitment to them. And it costs them dearly. Their kids and their grandkids got to go to the promised land, but they did not. 
they just wandered around, hiked around for 40 years of camping, which sounds to me like a real drag. And, and they never got home. They never got home. Oh, another day, another funeral. We're going to bury, you know, uh, poor Isaac here, and, and, uh, and, and, and then we move on and we wander some more. What's the point? And that's what their lives look like. But here's the point. Why are these two things in the Bible in one psalm? Like one psalm saying, come, worship the Lord, bow down before him, for he is our God and he is the, the, the sheep of, uh, we are the sheep of his pasture. We are the flock under his care. And, and he is the great God, the great king above all idols. Uh, you know, when you, and, then, and then they shall never enter my rest. Why are those two things together? Because of this. You can't worship a God you don't trust. You can't worship a God that you don't trust. So, I'm going to wrap it up. It looks like a worship gathering can be full of joy and singing and full of thanksgiving and full of bowing and kneeling and humbling yourself and full of faith in a God who is not only great but good to you. But what it's not is boring. Bored hearts are sometimes tired hearts. I remember sitting here one day, I think I was sitting right around there. And uh, this is like 13 years ago. I'd been a pastor for 14 years. We just got back here, and I was just feeling kind of beat up, and I was kind of feeling kind of kicked around. I was feeling exhausted, emotionally exhausted. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, man. I, oh, you know, I just, I, my heart is so hard. I wasn't ready to receive anything from the pulpit. I wasn't ready to receive anything in the, in the time of worship. I, I, my heart was disengaged, and I was just feeling, so, you know what I needed? A nap. I needed to get a good night of sleep. I needed to be replenished in my heart and in my soul. And, and the Lord did heal that. Prob- within about seven days, uh, I was ready. I was ready to re-engage with God. Sometimes, so sometimes bored hearts are tired hearts. And some of you are in that position right now. Maybe you're just so tired. You're so exhausted. You're so covered up with all the stuff that's being thrown at you in life, and you just feel like, oh, oh at least I got here. Oh. You know, but, but I can't engage. But sometimes, sometimes, sometimes a bored heart is a hard heart. Plenty of exposure to the Word of God, and it just piles up in your brain with no response from you, so that when troubles come, you don't apply the promises of a covenant promise-keeping God who's for you, and you quit believing that God is good, so your worship has less and less to do with your real life. It's a heart problem. Problem of the heart. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. So go to God about that. He is not afraid to hear you talk about that. God is not going to be... Uh, annoyed with you when you come to him and say, this is how I feel today. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me to the way everlasting. Pray that prayer. Because God is a good heart surgeon. He'll take care of that heart. How bruised, it's hurting, it's broken, it's tired, or it's hard. But God is good. And he wants to see that heart become ready for the word of God and ready for the time of worship and ready to engage with the people of God and ready to engage with God himself. So come to God 
and worship and bow down before him. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand and taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop in the bucket. But they are accounted as dust on the scales. So let the heavens praise your wonders, O Lord. Let your faithfulness and assembly of the holy ones, for who in the skies can be compared to the Lord? Who among the heavenly beings is like the Lord, a God greatly to be feared in the counsel of the holy ones, and awesome above all who are around him? O Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. The Son of God is worthy. He has a name above all names. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the risen Savior who is returning to bring salvation to all of his people, who is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn over all creation for all things in heaven and earth were created in him, all things visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were created through him and for him, and he himself is before all things, and all things are held together in him. He is the head of the body, the church, as well as the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that he himself might be first in all things. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Amen. I just read all that to tell tell you that you don't need any music happening for you to worship. Approach God in the Lord's Supper today. Take some time to pray about your heart and come let us bow down and worship and kneel before the Lord, our Maker, our Redeemer, our Shepherd, and our King.